I'm Tabby. And I'm Caitlin. And today we are going to talk about the first Crescent City book, House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Mass. And let me just tell you guys, we put some freaking work into this one. (laughs) You guys aren't ready. My mind was blown the first time I read it. I read it four times. And on this fourth read through, I was like, oh my gosh, I missed even more. Yeah. Yes. Honestly, there's so many more details that I did not remember till I read it again. So it's wild because the first time you read this book, you're just confused. You're like, there's a lot going on here. (laughs) First, I will go ahead and just read the back of the book. So it says, bound by blood, tempted by desire, unleashed by destiny. Bryce Quinlan had the perfect life, working hard all day and partying all night until a demon murdered her closest friends, leaving her bereft, wounded, and alone. When the accused is behind bars that the crimes start up again, Bryce finds herself at the heart of the investigation. She'll do whatever it takes to avenge their deaths. Hunt Athelar is a notorious fallen angel, now enslaved to the archangels he once attempted to overthrow. His brutal skills and incredible strength have been set to one purpose, to assassinate his boss's enemies, no questions asked. But with a demon wreaking havoc in the city, he's offered an irresistible deal. Help Bryce find the murderer and his freedom will be within reach. As Bryce and Hunt dig deep into Crescent City's underbelly, they discover a dark power that threatens everything and everyone they hold dear. And they find, in each other, a blazing passion. One that could set them both free if they'd only let it. So, in terms of ratings, if I was going based on Sarah J. Mass series, it's probably my second favorite so like i would say like a 9.3 out of 10 there were some parts i didn't love it's a little slow yes so okay i guess it depends on which read through i'm talking about because my first read through i liked it a little bit less than i did the second time through because i was a little confused yeah (laughs) so my first read through i guess would be a little lower but as of right now Oh, there's a couple things I might change about it. So I'm going to say like a 9.8 out of 10. Yeah, just based off of like the sheer connections I'm making right now, like it's a very high rate for me because like she put a lot into like drawing it back, which we'll talk about. Yeah, really. And like, I know not everyone loves Sarah J. Mass's work, but like what she has done is just objectively impressive. Like with this particular... um, like interconnected multiverse that she's got going on here. So I just think she objectively is a very creative person. Yes. uh, Regardless of your preferences. And it's like at this point, she's created three completely separate different worlds. And I don't know, there's a lot of thought that goes into that. And it's crazy to me. Even if I wasn't the biggest fan of her work, which I really do love her work, I think I would still appreciate it very much because... It's well, and just impressive. what a fresh take she's taken to on like the whole world of like Fae. Cause yeah. I feel like that has been like a very overdone genre the last couple of years. Like it's mm-hmm. really just everyone's doing it. And so I love that it's set in more of like a modern time. Yes. Um, That's and one it's, of the like, things I really love about this series. I think it's like the juxtaposition of it is amazing, especially yeah. with like the war that's going on between the, the, veneer and yeah. the humans because they talk about like magic versus machines and which is super cool so before we really hop into the heart of it I do want to just 
kind of quickly cover again the different houses that are in Midgard because I was so, so, so confused the first time I read this book. I'm like, where are we? It's a different planet. It's a different everything. Like I was confused. So there's four houses on the planet Midgard. Midgard is separated into a bunch of different territories. So they live in Luna, well, what was formerly called Lunathia, now it's Crescent City. There's also Pangera, which is across the sea. And that's where a bulk of like the fighting is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the four houses are um, House of Earth and Blood. And so in that, you have your shifters, humans, witches, regular animals, and many others who Cathona calls as well as some chosen by Luna. So Cathona and Luna are two of the gods um, they worship. And then there's House of Sky and Breath. So you have the Malachim, which are the angels, the Fae, the elementals, the sprites who were actually kicked out of House of Sky and Breath because they rebellion. Yeah. And then those who are blessed by Solus, along with some favored by Luna because the Fae worship Luna. Um, And then you have House of Many Waters. So that's going to be like your river spirits, your myrrh, water beasts, nymphs, kelpies, nox, and others watched by Ogenis, which is the water goddess. And then um, you have the House of Flame and Shadow, which is probably the least known out of all of them. Um, But that's going to be your Demonaki, your Reapers, Wraiths, Vampires, Draki, Dragons, Necromancers, and many wicked and unnamed things that even Erd herself cannot use. See, sorry. There's a lot going on. There there were so many different types of beings that I thought it'd be good to just... And that's what makes this um world so interesting is because of like all of these creatures came to be because of the northern and southern rifts and so we'll get more into that whenever we dive into our theory corner which is why this war against the humans is so crazy because fifteen thousand years prior to that only humans and regular animals lived in what they now call midgard Mm -hmm. and the veneer basically took over and so for this entire 15,000 years, the humans have been trying to regain that power they lost. So we'll start with just going over some of the characters in this book. Uh, there's a lot. Yes. Um, there's yeah. a lot of characters, but it's important to cover them all because they all play their own special role in the book. It is very, very interwoven. So we do have our first main character, it's Bryce Quinlan. She is a baddie, first of she all. Is. Yeah. But she's also a ride or die. And she, like straight up, there's like this thing in, in Midgard where whenever a person dies, um, they send their body across the sea to towards the bone quarter. But it's like if their if their boat tips, then that means their soul is deemed unworthy. So Bryce literally went and like made a deal <laughs> with the freaking what the shadow king under king under king i couldn't remember his name she was like listen i don't care what it takes you can have my soul just make sure danica makes it over here like she literally sold her soul for her best friend which i do think danica probably would have made it across herself and i actually do have some theories too about bryce's afterlife anyway and i don't think it's going to end up mattering but what a good friend to have and uh, Hunt even says that too he's like man I would kill to have a friend who like loved me like that she just went through so freaking much like even like as a young child like she was cast out by her father you know she had to deal with being a half fae which was really frowned upon they're not really 
high up in society. So the fact that she's even like a citizen is crazy to everybody. And then, you know, the only friends she's ever had were killed in a very gruesome, terrible way. The person that she thought she was going to spend the rest of her life with was in a pulp of meat on the floor. Horrifying. Yeah. And so she's her journey throughout this book was super cool. And I felt like we got to see a lot of self-growth and something that I really, really love about um, most of the main female characters that Sarah J. Mass writes um, is that they always have a secret plan that they're not willing to tell anybody about. So yeah. even if there is, you know, a main goal, like they're going to have some side quests that they're taking in order to reach it. And I do think that part of that is because these characters that she's created, they have like reasons not to trust people then we have hunt athalar who is a fallen angel who led uh the rebellion against the archangels we don't really know a ton about him (laughs) yeah like we just know like he is enslaved he works for the archangel governor micah and micah basically uses him as his personal assassin which is horrible yes i don't know hunt is not my favorite male like male character ever written i do i do think he redeemed himself quite a bit because i was not ready to forgive him bryce was like it's okay like what you did was fine and it's like "Mm, i don't know like i still feel like it's maybe not fine like i know he was trying to do like the synth stuff like to save himself and like the other slaves but but it really like that was pretty jacked up i definitely agree i the thing is like I have heard a lot of people say, just in their opinion, the characters in Crescent City, just they don't vibe with them like they vibe with Sarah J. Mass's other characters. But I think that it's because, and this is just my opinion, I think it's because we can see ourselves a little more in these characters. Yeah. Like, it's more modern, first of all. Like, the the issues are more modernized. And so it's like these like situations and stuff that they get into just kind of feel more relevant to us and I think that it's like I don't know it's easier to just be like what an idiot I'd never do that but like Feyre and Reese and all of them they all did some stupid shit and they did and like everyone's so quick to forgive them but I like I feel like it's not necessarily the same for like Hunt and Bryce right it is it was different problems different everything and like I do love the way they did problem solve them I feel like they use their heads a little more than they did in maybe any of the other series because it's like they were all keeping their own secrets and so it's like you can't really fault any specific one for anything because they're all at fault basically I know and that's the thing is like all these characters yes they all have reasons to like be upset with them like you know, but I just... But also they can't be because they still got stuff that they're hiding. <laughs> yes, I know. And Like, I, it really draws me to them. I love these characters. I think what I really liked about this book, too, is that, yes, I did like the two main characters, but I also loved all the supporting characters. Like... If and, not, love them more than the Yeah, I think characters. I maybe like them a little bit more than Bryce and Hunt because... I do like, I don't know. They just... They were so different. It was just very refreshing to see that. And like in Akatar, you have like the inner circle and the inner circle is awesome. But I don't think you really got to see them as much as you do the other side characters in this book. Especially, especially in the second book. 
Yes. Like it just goes into it so much more. Um, and I like that too, because it's get almost quite like a bit of no like a room. Like no one's a main character in the second book. Yeah, I know. It They're all it main characters. Feel more like a movie to me too. And I like that. I love it. So yeah, I thought she did something really cool with this one. Um they do develop even more in the second book, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Um just not I don't know. I was a little underwhelmed by them, I think. That's fair. I feel that. Um, Rune Dannon, my only love, you know, yeah. like what but, an incredible man. Yeah. Male. And we were talking about this and we didn't feel that way about him until we read the second book. It's true. He but, felt very overbearing in the first book. I did like all the scenes with his dad, though, because mm-hmm. we got so much interesting information, like, about their dynamic, but also about, like, the history of the Fae. Um, his family that lives in Avalon is yeah. very, very interesting to me, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, During Theory Corner. <laughs> but Rune is just such a new, refreshing character. I don't know. He's interesting. He is very interesting. Speaking of interesting and fresh characters, Lahaba, our little queen. Uh, rest in peace. Um, she is not only is she fun and flirty and a good time, she is a fucking hero. She is she deserves a statue in like a library named after her. Uh it hurt so much i wrote down all the quotes from her like right before she died i was like stop it immediately uh i really really wish that we hadn't lost her like seriously because it like to me the first time i read this book i was like sad when danica and the pack of devils died but we hadn't really gotten to know i wasn't attached to them yeah it's like in the book, you don't really get to know and love Danica until the end of the book. And at that point, she's already gone. So it's like a different process. But, but it's Hobbit, also like, oh. I don't know. I'll talk about Danica too, because I'm just, I'm not sure about her. Well, I I have an opinion about that as well. And well, did you have anything else to say about Lahaba before we talk about Danica? No, just the fact that even though Lahaba knew she was free and still chose to die for her friends, I think that really says a lot about who she was as a person. She was a great, you know, piece of comedic relief. And yeah. her love for Syrinx was so funny. I know. Um, the I fact that their- she was always <laughs> like, Syrinx says this. I'm like, can she actually talk to I, I think she can. <laughs> I love that. Lahaba is honestly... She might be my favorite character in the entire She book. is my favorite, and I'm sad that she's not in any of the others. However, Sarah J. Maas does make up for it in the second book, and yeah. I think it's cute. Um, Danica. Yeah. Danica. I honestly did not care for Danica's character. Mm-hmm. I thought she was very sneaky. Um, she, I, I do think deep in her heart, she did have Bryce's safety as a priority, However, I do think she had a different agenda and it came before Bryce's safety. Well, I think Danica was the ultimate alpha hole. Yeah, she was. (laughs) Bryce was literally always talking about how she didn't like, well, and she even did joke about it because she told Connor, like, there's no room for any more alpha holes in her life because she already had Danica. Yeah. But like, she seriously was everything that Bryce said she didn't want. 
but it's because she already had it. Yeah. And okay. So for me, I felt the very same way the first time I read the book. Second time through, I had like this newfound outlook on Danica because I've read the second book now as well. Uh, you know. So that affected my opinion of her. I think that Danica, there's a lot to unpack, but it's like most of our knowledge about her and her relationship was bright with Bryce is given to us after she's already dead. So it's like Bryce is being betrayed by Danica after she's already gone. So it's like we have to learn to forgive her through Bryce's lens. And it's very complex because if you think about like if you lost someone that you really loved and then after they died, you learn that they kept all these secrets from you like that would be so hurtful. But you couldn't you couldn't talk it out with them like they're gone. Right. So it's just like it's such a complex like depiction of grief and like forgiveness. I think it's like. I've never read a book where a character is like that, where like they've died, but they're still betraying the person that loved them. Yeah. And it like even can, I mean, we'll talk about in the next book too, like, but it continues on even into the second book. Yes. And it's one of those things where it's like, you just really don't know what to think because there are so many different aspects of what's going on, like playing a role in like the total outcome of what's happening yeah. that like same thing. There's not one single character that you're like, yeah, you know, you're right and you're wrong. I know. Because in the second book, we'll learn even more about Danica's motives and the reason It's like nobody's really right. Nobody's things. really wrong except for one specific group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Her character is strange because, like, they've, they've built her up that whole first couple chapters to be, you know, like, this all-powerful alpha. And she's going to become, like, the leader of all of the wolves, not even just the Valbaran ones, but, like, everyone on the planet. And then they just kill her off. Yeah, and her death was humiliating, too. Like, yeah. the audio recording had her, like, it caught her begging for her life. And to them, like, that's a coward's death. Yeah. Like, and I would be begging for my life as well. But like to them, like she's supposed to be tough until the end. Um, So it's I think Danica is very complex. And honestly, like I would go to bat for her. Like I would I would defend her character. Mostly because I, don't think I, think I would. Her character is um, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I don't think I would. I think her character is. I, I can't think of like the word that I want to use, but I think her character um, causes us to empathize in situations where it's difficult I, to do so. I'm empathetic towards her because her mom is terrible. Mm-hmm. Like for that, I do, I do feel bad for her because it sounds like she grew up in absolute hell. Yeah, like, that's true. But Sabine is also correct that Danica was extremely just disrespectful and kind of did whatever she wants. And as much as I don't like Sabine, I feel like, again, neither of them are right. Neither of them are wrong. (laughs) Yeah. But then we learned that some of the things that she was doing that seemed like rebellious and like irresponsible for a greater for yeah for noble causes right because the the land that they live in is not fair like it's not a fair world so i don't know we'll move on from danica just she's a complex character for an hour yes (laughs) which is ironic because of (laughs) how little she is in the book um micah micah is 
fine as hell, I'm sure. Yeah. But he is, like, the ultimate bad guy. Yeah. He is... He gives me the heebie-jeebies. He's a major fuckboy. Bryce knows it the minute she sees him. She's like, I'm not interested. And it's like, he does try... So this is why he's... They're all neat characters, but his character is interesting because he's manipulative. Mm-hmm. So he portrays himself to be this really good dude and everyone in their city thinks he's a good dude because of how bad the other archangels are yeah and so it's like yeah like we've got it really good here because it could always be worse yeah and so well he's not torturing us in a dungeon so and it's like he's like a patron of the arts and he invests in all these things which we do later find out is because he is using them yeah but he also seems like the good guy compared to the like again the the other archangels, and so when Hunt and the other Triari members are sold to Micah, I think he's made deals with all of them separately. First of all, um, or he's elevated them to different statuses. He gives them a salary. He gives them days off, and so everyone's like, "Yeah, Micah's a good dude." Yeah, it's like even though we're literally his slaves, he pays us. He doesn't have to pay us. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I don't know. Like, you can almost tell he was just doomed to be the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, Which, no one's that good, especially the Archangels. I I don't know what I was thinking the first time I read it through, because I can't remember. But I don't think that I expected him to be, like, the ultimate bad guy. I think I was a little bit surprised. So, he fooled me. I, I did think initially the first time I read it, that I thought somehow the Asteri were going to be more involved than they actually were, but no, mm-hmm. they're just like this higher being that we don't really see yeah. or hear from until the end. Um, and so I think that's probably why I was most confused because they'd introduced like these great high powers. Yes. And then it's like, and then we have Micah. And who, I also the thought it was going to have more to do with um with hell and the princes of hell. Yeah, but she just introduced so many characters that you're like, I actually don't know who's bad. Yeah. And then she throws in the wrench with Hunt, like doing the synth deal and stuff. And you're like, oh, shit. Well, maybe it was Hunt yeah. the whole time. <laughs> I know. Uh, but I knew like and this is probably just because it was like too early on. I knew it wasn't the Viper Queen. I knew it wasn't Sabine because I was like, Sabine's a bitch, but she did not kill her own daughter. No, no. Sabine is terrible. But she's not that terrible. Yeah. Like, she is a really bad person. <laughs> but not like that. Um, but then, um, so besides Hunt, we have some other notable members of Micah's Triari. We have Isaiah, who is the uh, commander of the Legion. He's honestly a, a pretty good homie. Um, he helps Hunt quite a bit. There's also Victoria, who's a wraith. And these are all... They're all they're members all of the fallen, 33rd. The but they were in the 18th, which was the fallen unit. Yes. Victoria is, as punishment, is trapped in the same body forever. But apparently she's still good looking, so... Yeah, it's like going. she was trapped in a veneer's body. So it's like it's still aging very slowly. Yeah, so it's but fine. In she's terms fine. of wraiths, like, it's very old. Yeah, because normally they just switch it out um naomi's captain of the 33rd and justinian is apparently the youngest member um and he loves to annoy hunt which is kind of cute he's like a little brother i feel like um but we don't really know a lot about them except for isaiah um yeah isaiah is really the most developed 
I actually think at this point, Victoria, Naomi, and Justinian are all dead. Yeah, so, so they have all been punished by... Um, well, Naomi died in the battle. No, she didn't die, actually. Wait. She did not die. Naomi wasn't part of the synth deal. Okay. No, Naomi's in the second book, so scratch that. Gotcha. She lived. Yeah, so Victoria gets, like, trapped in a box and... They steal the her the soul out of the body. <laughs> it's really <laughs> fucked up, man. But hey, she got out of that body that she was doomed to live in forever. So, yeah, upgrade. Which I wonder if, like, she maybe comes back later. Cause it's like, I think she's gonna come back. She's gotta have to come back. They made such a big deal about her. About exactly where she's at in the sea. Yeah. Like, we, somebody's gonna go get her. She'll be fine. I do think someone has retrieved her. But um, boy, oh boy, is she going to be pissed when she gets out of that box. Justinian is 100% dead. Rest yes. in peace. He did get killed. He, um, he's gone. So, yeah. Ember <laughs> and Randall, they're two of my favorite characters. Actually, you know, I go back. Everyone is problematic except for Ember and Randall because... Yeah. You know what? Yeah. All she was trying to do was make sure that her daughter was protected from a terrible, terrible man. And who can fault a mother for that? Yes. Certainly and not she me. She got seduced by the freaking wealthy, At 18 powerful, years old king, fake king. Of course she did. It's not her fault. Yeah. It like Ember and Randall deserve the entire world. Randall, what a pure man. He, he so yeah, because like you could argue he's probably a war criminal, but it was against his will. He did not, he was not interested in serving in the military, but... He was required to serve they, in the military. Yeah, it's like, if they don't, it they basically just enslave Their lives them. are forfeit, and then their families get enslaved. Yeah, they, they either kill them or enslave them, whichever is more, um, whichever is more suited to the Republic <laughs> So Which, yeah. Randall would have 100% been enslaved because he was the best sharpshooter. Yeah, he would have. He would have been turned into... And like, like that sucks, man. Anyway, yeah. no, I love that. Even though Ember is so incredibly protective of Bryce, Randall's like, "You're still gonna learn how to fight, though." Yes, yeah. And thank God he off. did. It pays off. <laughs> no, I and I love that Ember stood up to the Autumn King. Like she's basically like, "Yeah, if you care that much, like come find me." But I know you won't because you're a coward. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, the Autumn King is a pussy. He is. No, and when he calls her and starts screaming at her and she was like, and what about it? Like, yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> I dare He's you. like, I guess. Ember's a bad bitch and Randall is a man wife, for sure. For sure. Love that um, for them. Speaking of the Autumn King, he sucks. Um, Again, I know he's hot, though. <laughs> yeah, I know he's hot. Okay. <laughs> And um, something interesting about his powers is that they are fire powers, which is um, the common like fey power among the Valbaran fey. But his son Rune tends to have um, more of the shadow powers and mind the Avalon powers. Avalon fey. So, I actually have um, a lot to talk about about the Autumn King um, during Theory Quarter. Because I think there is a lot more going on with him than he's let on. Because he acts like he's just sitting there in his little study doing nothing but doing projects and he's trying to find patterns, Looking which again, patterns. I am going to discuss. Yes. Because <laughs> he's a little skeevy prick. 
Next, we have the frat pack. We have Tristan and Declan. I love their characters. They're so cute. They're so cute. Tristan, he's a douche, but we love him. Yeah. Like, he is just a little spoiled rich boy who I think has overcome his family's uppityness and has really made his way for himself. And then Declan, who is just cool. Like, he's a genius. He's a hacker. (laughs) He's our little nerdy boy. He is so precious to me. Uh, he's very gorgeous to me <laughs> i love declan um and i just love their love for rune and the friendship that they have it they honestly did their ordeals together which is yeah, so cute it reminds me a lot of like the valkyrie mm-hmm. in a court of silver flames like i feel yeah. like it's that level of camaraderie i agree i love that tristan flynn is also very interesting because he is a son of a lord and so again he has like an elevated status and he also has earth magic which is like super super rare for valbar and fey and they're not really sure where it came from same thing with declan he is from just like i think a common family they're not super well off or anything um but he is not only a genius he can also heal people which is a super super rare fey ability and so mixed with runes super rare abilities they are quite the little pack of people they are quite the dynamic trio if you will yeah they've got a lot going for him which is why everyone's so scared of them love that for them yeah how how special then we have Fury and June, who are Bryce's other friends. Um, but they kind of, like, they aren't as close as they used to be um, But prior to Danica's death. So Fury is veneer, but we don't know what kind. And we don't know what house she belongs to. Which I'm going to talk about. Which I'm also going to talk about. <laughs> um, and they just know that she made the drop at age 21 because she was forced to. Which is interesting which is sus sus they met her at university but it was it was just a front because she's actually a mercenary um but she's a really good friend so um, everyone was super scared of her (laughs) my favorite is like the introduction to fury is when bryce is standing outside the club at the very beginning she just comes up to bryce and puts a knife to her throat and she's like oh you gotta be more vigilant girly (laughs) (laughs) like stay sharp honey um no and like Fury pissed me off, but also I get it because it's like she probably has a lot going on as a mercenary for the Republic. Um, She should have been a better friend to Bryce, especially after June told her that she had literally (laughs) tried to jump off of a roof. Um, (laughs) And Fury's like, hey, haven't we all? You know, we've all been there. So nothing special. Um, But I also half human. (laughs) I think it was like part of her coping mechanism. And I also just have this deep inclination that she knows more about Danica than Bryce does. And so, like, maybe she stayed away because she couldn't talk about it. I'm not sure. That's just a guess. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot to Fury. She's she's a wild character. Yeah, she's fun, though. I do like her. I just think there's a lot more to her that we don't know yet. Yeah, I agree. We also have June, and she's a fawn, so... Cutie. She's a cutie. She kind of looks like a deer as well, Um, but is really gorgeous. Like, she is apparently so stunningly beautiful. She dances, and she is, like, the first fawn to, like, 
be in this dance company and be like a star or something. I, I can't remember what record she's setting, but it's something important um, because there's a lot of um, social commentary woven throughout the book about um, social status. And, um, you know, it, it kind of is like an allusion to racism in our real world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So which I think is like an ongoing thing in a lot of SJM's books because in like Akatar they also have like the lesser fae and they have the high fae and so she's really trying to push that there is definitely a discrepancy between the two. And then uh, that's not even to mention like the the disdain the fae have for humans and vice versa. Exactly which is how it is and yeah all of them. Yeah. So um, June is a really good friend. She keeps Bryce, you know, from jumping off a roof. (laughs) I think Um, kind of freaked her out. That scene or like Bryce remembering that is really heavy. But another scene that like really struck me is when the club gets bombed and Bryce can't stand to lose anyone else. So she jumps to protect Fury or sorry, June. And June gets mad at her. Because she's made the drop and Bryce hasn't. She literally slaps her across the face because she's so upset. Which I think was completely valid. Yeah. And it's just like that scene, it's it's an emotional one. And it's just kind of like right in the middle of the book, just sprinkled in and we're like moving on. But I think that one is really telling of a lot of Bryce's character. Yeah. I mean, she is selfless to the point of like stupidity. Yeah. Um. Which is how the main character in Throne of Glasses, which is how Resand is in like Akatar. It's like there's a lot of ongoing themes in these yeah. books. Is that like selflessness over anything else? Yeah, they're all um, basically just masochistic. Like they don't martyrs. care if they die as <laughs> long as everyone else is fine. Yeah, and it's like, hey, girl, you know that's not how that works because Danica died. Like there are people who love you. Well. <laughs> like your mom would not survive that. Um, Hypaxia. So, oh, um, June and Fury are also madly in love. And I think that's very cute. Yeah. Um, Hypaxia is the daughter of Hecuba, who is the late witch king. Um, she is very secretive. There's yeah. a lot about Hypaxia that we still don't know. We know that she was raised like in a, like a forest somewhere. Yes. In a by ancient, with, like, ancient tutors. The other witches are super weirded out by her. Like, same. She is strange. Yeah. Very strange. And then she also worked at a med- as a med witch in Crescent City before she took on her role because she wanted some independence because she's been living in a forest for the last 25 years. Yeah. Um, the witches are very interesting. And again, I'll cover a little more about this. But there's a lot of ties to witches and Throne of Glass that you can see quite a bit in this book as well. And so I... I don't know if she has ulterior motives or not, but I do think there are a lot of strange things that happen in the book that make me maybe not trust her that much. Like her just happening to be on the scene when Hunt gets attacked and she just had vials ready to take yeah. the poison. And because like she runs into um, Rune quite a bit as well mm-hmm. at the beginning. And it's kind of like 
is that orchestrated? Because she knows who he is, obviously. Well, and she also knows that there's a proposal coming and she shuts it down super fast. And she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm not in the market, but I am going to try to you know, string you along to get some information out of you. Yeah. And I don't know if that was just to like feel him out or what, but she just appears at weird times and it's very convenient for her. Yeah, I could see. I could see it because that would be a little unexpected too, based on like what we know of her character traits. It would be a little unexpected for her to actually be. um, Well, and we don't know how the witch, the witch queen died. Yeah. Like that was all very secret. Because it was unexpected as well. It was very unexpected. No one likes her. And so I really feel like there's more to her character. Yeah, you're right. That's something to keep. I don't I don't really trust her. Yeah. And then we have the Viper Queen. I loved her. (laughs) She's I don't know about you. (laughs) She's a serpentine shifter and head of the meat market. Um she is super sketch. I love her. Uh, her bodyguards are a bunch of fae who have defected from the Autumn King. And they're like uh, addicted to a venom that she she gives out. She gives out this like hypnotic it, venom. Yeah, basically like ties them to her. Yeah, it's creepy. And it's like, okay, so this is a quote directly from the book. It says, her power was rumored to be different, something extra that mixed with her venom, something strange and old. I wrote that down too. Okay, because I'm like strange and old. So did she come through like a rift maybe? No one knows how old she is. Yeah, no one knows how old she is. Also, she casually runs a fight club, which I think is kind of funny. Um, but because <laughs> of like the her old and strange magic and something that she says to Bryce, she reminds me of a street urchin version of Amron. Like, she's just a little well, rugrat Amron. She actually reminds me of a character from Throat of Glass, which I won't oh. tell you because you're still reading it. Yeah, I'm not But I did make a comment on it. Okay. Um, In my theories, because the way she, like, inholdens people to her is very, very similar to another character who kind of does the yeah, same thing. Interesting. Yeah. So obviously I didn't know about that character, but and I would agree then. That character is ancient. Yes. So mm-hmm. whenever they said it was something strange and old, I was like, oh my God. Okay. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess personality wise, she just reminds me more of Amron because she told Bryce, look toward where it hurts the most. That's always where the answers are. And I was like, that's something that Amron would say to Feyre. Um, Yeah, so Viper Queen's legit. Love her. Um, Jessica is, out of literally everyone else in this book, Jessica's my favorite. I do love Jessica. And it is because she plays so many different roles throughout this story yeah it's well, like are you woman you know like are you evil well no but you also work for the under king but we also find out that you are the caretaker of this ancient library but we also find out you're in cahoots with the princes of hell and yeah. you know some secrets about hunt that we don't know and so it's like who are you first of all i think she's older than 400 years Oh, yeah, like she just lies about how old she is. Well, because all we hear is about this enchantress defecting, right? Mm -hmm. 
And nobody knows anything about her prior to that, like who she belonged to, what coven she was in, nothing. And so I think she is probably super, super old. And again, I don't want to drop too many things right now, but she's a key player. And I know that um, huh. she is heartless, but she's not because she loves Bryce dearly. And she would yeah. never say that, but she does love her so much. I know. It's um, like... She she would never admit that she's ever had an emotion besides anger, but she does. She is like a scary aunt. Yeah, I do love her. Um, uh, you know who I don't love? Sabine. Yeah, Sabine sucks. She's just I hate awful. her character. Uh, the, <laughs> her immediate reaction when Danica and the pack were slaughtered was to accuse Bryce of Where's my sword? sword? Yeah, and call her a slut. I was like, girl. <laughs> be she's like, well, girl. my daughter couldn't keep her mouth shut. And it's like, well, she's dead, so. I cares? know. She is so evil. It's wild. <laughs> um, Sandriel, also evil and wild, and I hate her, and I'm glad she's dead. Um, Honestly, I'm glad her sister's dead, too. They all suck. Yeah. I hope Shahar does not rest in peace. Yeah, she he sounded manipulative. manipulative. And yes. At least Sandriel was upfront about it. <laughs> um and then just to kind of like run through these real quick um because they'll be more important in the second book but these are members of Sandriel's Triari so there's Pollux the Hammer um that's his nickname <laughs> the Hammer um he call the Hammer he was the commander Lydia Servos the Hind is the Republic's most notorious spy hunter and Pollux's lover she's a deer shifter um there's the harpy and the hawk and the hellhound and then we have hunt who was the hunter yes when he was in their triari and i was like wow how fun mm-hmm. what a fun group that you've accumulated aren't they just <laughs> like we love the h's honestly really done something cute there uh but they all suck they're all scary Hunt yeah, doesn't like assholes. any of them, but he especially doesn't like Pollux because he likes to torture people for fun. Um, yeah. So we'll find <laughs> out more about the Triari, unfortunately, in the next book. <laughs> unfortunately. They but do play fun. They do play a role in the next book. So then we have the Asteri, which we don't know a ton about the Asteri, except that they came across the rift 15,000 years ago with everyone else. Um, they've basically, they are, they're stars that are in he- like a humanoid form that rule over all of Midgard. Um, everyone answers to the Asteri. Um, the Bright Hand, which I don't know what the Bright Hand means, but that's Rigelus and he's kind of like their spokesperson. He's like the, the main head of the Asteri. Um, they have basically wiped any information prior to them taking power. So no one really knows anything about them except for what was written in history, mm-hmm. um, which is why what Jessabo is doing was so wrong in their eyes because she had manuscripts from before the crossing of yes. the Northern Rift. Yeah, from um, um, Parthos, which was the uh, ancient human civilization that existed prior to the veneer um, coming over. Um, And then also the Asteri, they have, uh, there are six of them, but there were seven, but they have a fallen sister that gets referred to a lot, um, who was apparently eaten by 
the prince of the pit, who is the um like most powerful prince of hell. And Sirius was the wolf star, um, which wolves come up a lot in this book. Yes. And so I was like, I think that's an ongoing thing that'll come back up later, probably. Mm-hmm. I'm so intrigued by the princes of hell. Same. And I want to know about each and every one of them. <laughs> uh, I do, too. But speaking of, let's talk about Adis. Yeah, let's talk um, about him. Adis is the prince of the chasm. So he is like level five. There are only two mm-hmm. levels below him. When Bryce was 13, she went to the Oracle and the Oracle like gives you your prophecy or whatever. Uh, But when the Oracle tried to look at Bryce's future, she was blinded for a week. And (laughs) so Bryce was upset. She was crying. Um, Her father like disowned her and was like, don't come back here. And this cat came up to her and just started talking to her. And she was like, what the fuck? She's like, wow, um, I love cats. <laughs> and he's like, I'm Adis, the the prince of the chasm. He probably didn't say that. But <laughs> I mean, I think he did tell her that he was a prince of hell. And she was just like, yeah, OK. <laughs> Maybe. I think he at least like gave his name and she probably just figured it out. Yeah. Um, especially because of where she works. Yeah. But then Bryce decides to summon him to like ask him questions about the crystallos. Um, but then he appears like a little hobby, like a little, like kind of strange looking, but also good looking. Um, like I was into it. Yeah. I was like, ooh, Bryson Adis, you know? I was and like, yeah. Like tells her to make the drop and come find him. And then he like appears in a dream as well and like repeats it. I know. I was like, oh, he's visiting her in her dreams. Yeah. And then we yeah. also see him in the epilogue where we find out that he has known Jessica for a while now and dropped some knowledge about Hunt's father. Apparently Jessica knew him mm-hmm. and also gave us some more information about Thea and like the first war and how he was there. And it sounds like, you know, he kind of interfered with the war maybe. And so Jessica basically is like, promise that you don't fuck up this time. And he was like, why would I when things are about to get so interesting? So Adis will be making a return. And we love him. And I love that for us. Also, I think he's into Bryce. And yes. I'm, I'll talk about Who that, isn't, too. isn't, though? I know. Everyone's in love with Bryce. And he was like, oh, do you want me to, like, change forms, like, something closer to Hunt? Like, would that make you happy? And I was like, oh. He's like, is that what you're into? <laughs> He's like, I can, I can be that for you. That meathead? Uh, love it. I thought that was so funny. He's like, oh, like, yeah, I was just a cat, so I didn't scare you last time. But you're a grown woman now. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you into? Uh, he's like, I can be anything you want me to be, baby. <laughs> uh, Therian is another just great comic relief. Um, he actually turns out to be a real homie, though. At yep. the end there, he like, again, loves Bryce. Everyone does. He I, It's in a joking way, though, mm-hmm. um, because he likes to get under Hunt's skin, which I thought was hilarious. Um, he calls her legs. Which, which is I so love. cute. <laughs> Therian is the captain of intelligence for the River Queen. Um, he met Hunt when his little sister was murdered and he was put on the case um, and ended up taking down that guy and murdered yeah. him slowly, which I thought was awesome <laughs> for him. Therian is another character to watch out for. He does become a main character in the second book, along with a bunch of these other people that we've talked about. So super yes. excited to talk more about him. 
next week, two weeks from now. They all get more screen time, page yes. time. And then uh, lastly, we're going to talk about Ethan, who is Connor's little brother. So Connor um, was Danica's like second in command of the pack, basically. And Bryce and and Connor had like a thing. They hadn't really been official yet, but like they had a thing. Um, so Ethan used to be one of Bryce's best friends, but f- he felt super betrayed because um, after the murders, Bryce's phone messages were leaked. And so there were texts like to Danica saying that she hooked up with someone in the bathroom, even though she had just agreed to go on a date with Connor. And so Ethan felt like really betrayed and hurt by that. Um, completely cut Bryce out of his life. And it was really sad. I hated it when Bryce went to the den and Ethan was acting so cold to her. I know, but I get it. I do because like that probably really hurt him. Yeah, he was very upset. And then at the end of the book, they kind of have this moment of- They reconcile. Reconciliation, yeah, because like he realizes that Bryce really is the person that he remembers her as when she's- um, you know, getting well, everyone just had to, to heal differently. So uh, little that's baby. a quick overview of the characters. An hour and a half later, here we are. Yeah, jeepers. <laughs> I said quick, but ooh. Um, um, so, we'll keep the next part, things we like, things we didn't like, pretty short so we can get to the theories, the theories. which is what we're all here for. There are a lot of things that we really did love about this book. Something that I liked was... The, well, first of all, the frat pack. I think they're my favorite part of this entire book, uh, which we talked about them already. But I also really love just like Bryce's character in general and like all like the slapstick kind of comedy they have. And mm-hmm. um, so like there's a lot of just like hidden, like just really quick comments that like Hut will make or Bryce will make or like Rune will make. And like you don't really catch them the first time, but you'll go back and reread it. And it's like, oh, my God, that was hilarious. They are um, so funny. Or just, like, really funny scenes that you're just like, what's happening? So, like, whenever Bryce kills Micah and she's just, like, low-key vacuuming <laughs> up his body, I was like, wow, that was such a heart-wrenching scene we've just watched after Lahaba dies. And then she's just going to vacuum him up. Like, that's yeah. totally fine. Absolutely. I think that is my – that is the most my ideal humor of the book. Yeah. Because it's um, like I just spent 10 minutes sobbing. And then we were like, Bryce is going to die. But nope, she wins and then vacuums them up. Um, we love so many things, but just a couple things that I love. I love Syrinx. And I, I love, love Syrinx. The otter messengers. They're so cute. Yes. Um, and then one of my favorite things uh, between Bryce and Hunt is the fact that Bryce discovers that Hunt like doesn't have any pictures on his phone except for like crime scene photos. And so she just starts randomly taking pictures to add to his phone. I think it's just really cute. I also thought another cute moment between them uh, was when Hunt found her like unicorn Jelly Jubilee (laughs) and thought they were dildos. And she like takes pictures of them like tucked in his bed or like put (laughs) along like the back of his chair. I think that was so freaking cute. Uh, 
they really did have a lot of just like great domestic scenes which you don't see a lot in books like this and I am so glad that she did put those in there because it really humanizes both of them um especially Hunt who I think has never had a chance to be like normal in his life and so that just gave him like a sense of security and a sense of normalcy and it was really just nice yeah because like for me it's like like Bryce changing her name in his phone or like I know it's so cute and it's like ultimately I don't think that their end game I don't either personally I think they're great friends though I think that they needed each other I think that their friendship is so important they both needed a friend so badly Mm -hmm. and I just I love their relationship I just I don't think that they're going to be romantically involved forever. I don't either. And I think part of like the, you know, sexual tension between them is because like they didn't really have another outlet to like kind of display that love. Yeah. Um, And so they're like, well, it makes sense that, you know, we'd be romantically interested in each other because we're already on the same page, like on all these other aspects. And so I, I do feel like, and they feel so vulnerable with each other. Yes. And I think that just kind of ends it makes up them feel safe for a lot of people. Which Definitely. is like, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but I mean, it's like the same thing that happened with like Feyre and Tamlin. It's like she needed that at the time and he was able to provide that for her. And she was giving him something he needed. And so that led to like yeah. a sense of safety where but they thought they were is- in love, which they weren't. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I do think that if if and when they do end their romantic relationship, I think they will remain friends, like, super Yeah, cool. I think they're going to end up being allies. I don't know where the series is headed, if I'm being wholly honest. <laughs> I have no idea. But I think Hunt has a lot of stuff to figure out for himself. um because yeah so does Bryce but I'm just saying like with all the hints they've given us about like Hunt's past I feel like he's going to be presented with like a lot of challenges in the next books and so you know figure out who his father is I think it's going to be somebody who is very powerful very like well known and it's going to be a lot for him to overcome Mm -hmm. and then I also think we're going to see maybe a, a shift in like, where his loyalties lie. So, like, I, I do think he's still, like, a sympathizer towards the human cause. Yes. Um, As much as he wants a normal life, I don't think that's what he was meant to do. And so, I, I do think they're going to have a lot of challenges coming up for both of them. For sure. But and that normalcy for the book was great in conclusion. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. And the list of things we did not like is shorter. I think, honestly... We'll just call this list one thing. Hunt's foot fetish. Hunt's foot fetish was just out of the blue. I did not think that was necessary. And I <laughs> was disturbed. Out of pocket, Sarah J. It's like, Sarah J, you've written what I would consider to be young adult up until the second Akatar book. Yeah. But never in your whole writing career have you ever written anything so devastating. <laughs> As Hunt being in love with Bryce's toes. But that kind of wraps up, like, I guess the first half of what we wanted to cover. We are going to transition into the theory aspect of this episode. Let's start with the horn. I think the horn is 
obviously a very big part of this. That's what they were looking for, the whole book. Um, so the horn is described as the language of the universe. And on page 12, they also say it's an ancient fey relic that was taken across the rift when they came by Luna, who both the fey and the shifter, the wolf shifters worship. So when I think of the horn, so basically the horn like opens up different portals. Like the horn was like the key to open up the different gates. Um, and you can like travel through the gates. You can do whatever you need to. That's, it doesn't really, they're not sure where they open up to because Ada said it can open up literally anywhere, like different mm-hmm. worlds, different realms. So on, in A Court of Silver Flames, they kind of talk about, a different artifact that also does the same thing, uh, which was the harp. Mm-hmm. And so when Nesta finds the harp in the prison, it says the harp says, we shall open doors and pathways. We shall move through space and eons together. Our music will free us of earthly rules and borders. And so I think either the harp and the horn are the same artifact, but it also reminds me of the cauldron. Mm-hmm. which also created the universe or maybe all three of them belong together um yeah. so i'm not sure but i also have a passage for, it makes me sound like i'm reading the bible there's a passage <laughs> well there's a passage i want to read in a court of silver flames that reese talks about and it really just kind of like i vaguely remembered it when i was reading this book again mm-hmm. um it's a little long so stick with me so Reese had a book of legends from his personal library that he brought out. And he says, the Fae were not the first masters of this world. According to our oldest legends, most now forgotten, we were created by beings who were near gods and monsters, the Daglin. They ruled for millennia and enslaved us and the humans. They were petty and cruel and drank of the land like wine. Um, some strains of mythology claim that one of the Fae heroes who rose up to overthrow them was Fion, who was given the great sword of Gwydion by the high priestess Oleana, who dipped it in the cauldron itself. Fion and Gwydion overthrew the Daglin, and a millennium of peace followed, and the lands were divided into rough territories that were precursors to the courts. But at the end of those thousand years, they were at each other's throats on the brink of war. Fionn unified them and set himself as High King, the first and only High King this land has ever had. Um, so then Feyre asks what happened to the High King. And Rhys says that Fionn was betrayed by his queen, who had been leader of her own territory, and by his dearest friend, who was his general. They killed him, taking some of his bloodline's most powerful and precious weapons. And then out of the chaos that followed, the seven highlords rose, and the courts have been in place ever since. So I think some of those tools that they took over was the horn. The horn. Because the horn was brought over. But then Fion and Oleana reminded me of the story of Peleus, um, Thea, and Helena. Yeah. So those three, um, basically Peleus was Thea's high general, mm-hmm. and he was betrothed to Helena. And so whenever he says that, Theon was betrayed by his queen. I think his queen was Thea. And his high general was Peleus. And they came over through the rift. um, Yeah. And they were all three starborn as well. Yes. And so another one of the artifacts I think they took was the star sword. Okay. And the star sword has a matching dagger. Mm -hmm. And I think somehow 
that was left behind left when behind. everybody came through the rift because it hasn't been reunited. Yeah. And well, when they okay. Oh, yes. So I just want to like add something to this because I think it solidifies your original theory about okay. <laughs> We're backtracking a little bit, but this is it's extra evidence. So, you know how you said like the harp is um similar to the horn. Mm-hmm. And the horn can only be used by a starborn fae, correct? Yes. So the symbol of the starborn is the aquated star. The star. Yes. <laughs> Which Nesta's tattoo that she gets when she makes a deal with Cassian is an eight-pointed star. Well, and also when she went to the prison, the harp was sitting on top of a large rendering of an eight-pointed star. Mm-hmm. And Which so on her back as well. Right. Before that, Reese and or they said Reese told me once that the island might have even been an eighth court. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe a the starborn star are from the eighth court and came over in the rift. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I do know. You're right. We're you right. Know? Yeah. Because then Helena, whenever they're talking about Peleus and Thea and Helena, Thea had two daughters, but only Helena was starborn. The other one wasn't even mentioned, but they described her as night-haired Helena, whose golden skin poured starlight and shadows. Which and is I was like, Reese-Anne. huh, sound familiar? Like, Yeah, that's... Um, and Reese's family Reese- runs that territory. Yeah, exactly. But it didn't used to be theirs. It's just always been, as far as he knows, in their family's protection. And, like, also, they talked about, like, the forged items that Nesta made and how there were other swords of legend that were lost. And I think one of them is the star sword. So, I do think that's all connected. (laughs) And also, yeah, just... conclusion. Remind me to bring that up again, too, whenever we talk about book two, that passage I just read, because I think it'll... That's going to be relevant for the next time as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even more so, I would <laughs> Even say. Even more so relevant. But I, I just remember that. I was like, oh, my God. It's yeah, because sense. I would like to read um, just, you know, speaking of the Star Sword. Um, mm-hmm. So the lore of the Star Sword in Crescent City. So it says, I once heard someone say the sword was made from iridium mined from a meteorite forged in another world before the Fae had come through the Northern Rift which again, lines up with everything we just talked about. Right. And then something that is written above the Fae archives, where Rune found all of this research, is it says, when knife and sword are reunited, so shall our people be. So that just means that the people who have the sword came from where the knife was from, which is where Akatar is. <laughs> Prithian. Oh, it's all interconnected and it's making my head hurt. Um, so to the top. with the rift, the it rift. says Midgard was full of humans and animals, but the Veneer took over. Creatures came through the rift. So yeah, the creatures came through a rift in Prithian too, and that's how Amran got there. Yeah. But it's like it makes sense because the harp is there. Well, also Ada said the horn, like you can open it literally anywhere. And so mm-hmm. maybe wherever Amran was, like it just happened to have been opened. Yeah. And she fell through and it closed again. But she also said her father was like a super powerful being. So what if. Because 
when I first read this book, mm. my first thought when I read about the fallen Asteria is that it was referring to Amran. However, then I remembered that Amran talked about she was a warrior for a vengeful god. So I was like, that doesn't really fit because the Asteria themselves don't claim to have been warriors. Um, yeah. They created angels to be their warriors. But then I started leaning towards Amran being the same type of veneer that Fury is. And we don't know what Fury is either. <laughs> right. But she doesn't have the exact same physical features. I do also think, yeah, a Valen, they're all descended maybe from the Night Court or like the Eighth yes. Court because it's a misshrouded island in the north, a sacred heart of Theta. And Rune, so Rune can summon the shadows and he can speak to minds, but I think he's a Damati for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and most of Alan Fay have that ability as well. So I think they could be descendants of the Night Court or possibly Highburn because the king of Highburn's nieces, niece and nephew were also Demati. Yeah. But they didn't have the shadow ability. And the physical features seem more um, Night, Court. Night Court. Like the dark hair, striking blue eyes, golden skin. So the other one. That I saw. Let me try to find it. Hold on. Um, just kind of adding off of that while you're looking for it. Then the Valbar and Fey then tend to be um, resemble more of the the Autumn Court. The Autumn like Court Avatar, with the red hair and the fire powers. So with the Starlight, it says that it is a gift of an ancient Fey reborn again. So when it said reborn, it made me think of Feyre or her sisters or Miriam. But then when you said Nesta had the eight-pointed star tattooed on her back, she was one of the reborn Fey. Yeah. And so maybe when we're thinking back to Feyre's family, right? Like we don't know anything about her mom, but her dad was able to find the Fey very quickly and like basically amass an army to help fight against Tyburn. Mm-hmm. And so I still think that... Feyre and her sisters are descended from the Fae because Feyre's name is from, from the, the old language. language. Well, the yeah. old, old language, yeah. which they talk about the old language in this book as well. Yeah, because um, I s- learned it. And the Autumn King only writes in the Fae language. Mm-hmm. And so I think that Thea, well, I don't even know if it's Thea. Like, I think maybe the Starborn are somehow derived from the eighth court and maybe nesta has something to do with the eighth court because i think their family like the old Fay, were do maybe from the eighth that, court like, like nesta when because when she was in the cauldron it's like she she just took its power so yeah i think whatever power she took just happens to be the power that was given to the eighth court in the first place from the cauldron sure and i think she just stole it and happens to have the same power interesting because we don't really know like what her power is she's a death goddess i don't know but i just think it's weird that the starlight is the the gift of an ancient fae reborn again and there's only four of those yeah i mean it has to be nesta then and then speaking of the autumn king i have a lot of stuff about him as well because go into that well if you have anything to talk about too just let me know I do have something to talk about later, but it it's not something that we've talked about yet. So Okay. Also, this one doesn't matter, but did you notice that 
So they live on the planet Midgard and Feyre fought the Midgard worm. Okay, so let me talk about mine really quick. Because, <laughs> right. Does that have to do with that? <laughs> kind of. Okay, so yes, I did notice that. And um, okay, so in the world of Crescent City, I'm actually going to talk about a couple of things. I'm sorry. Okay. No, you're fine. In the world of Crescent City, the Fae have been here for a long time, but they're not from here. Like that's established. They came right. through the rift. And the Autumn King is telling Rune, the Fae have long been fading. Our power wanes with each generation. And I think that's because the Fae's powers, um, they're very attached to the world around them. Yes, they draw their power like in Prithian. Yes. So yeah. in Prithian, in Akatar, Prithian is itself alive with magic. And they are the Fae draw their powers from the magical land that they live in. And they have been separated from Prithian for now thousands 15,000 years. years, yeah. <laughs> At least. So there's that. That explains, again, that they came through the rift from Prithian, like you were saying. Thea and what's his name? Pelias came over. Pelias. I pronounce that different too. Pelias. Pelias. Listen, ma'am. I haven't listened to an audiobook. Um, you should. They're very good. Okay. The second thing I was going to talk about. So because the magic here is not in the land, it's only in the first light, the being themselves and the first light that's harvested in order for veneer to fully fall into their powers. They must first complete an ordeal and make the drop in again, in this world of Midgard. So Arun is kind of describing like narrating what the ordeal is. The ordeal itself varied depending on the person. For some, it might be as simple as overcoming an illness or a bit of personal strife. For others, it might be slaying a worm or a demon. The greater like the fae, the greater the fae, the greater the ordeal. Oh, and Thera had to go through the trials. That was like her ordeal. Under the mountain was, was the ordeal. And then she made the drop. And Reese was her oh anchor. Oh, my God. Recently, yeah, because yeah, literally, he was. She was because tied to him. When they talk about um coming back up to your anchor, they talk about swimming up, like you know, and that's what that's she what did. Pharaoh described. <gasps> oh my god! So when Pharaoh was um reborn from a human to a face, she actually made the drop. Yeah, and I think the reason she was with able a to do that, spark of everybody's light. Yeah, I think the reason she was able to do that is because she's descended from Fay. And I think she has fey heritage somewhere in her because like, yes. Bryce, you know, only people that make the draw or only people with some kind of um, power can make the ability drop. will make the drop. So oh. I think that Feyre's family has to be descended from fey. You're so right. I didn't even think about that. Anyways. Oh, mind blown. When you said the Midgardian worm, I was like, okay. No, I was just like, wow, what a weird coincidence that was. I was like, here I come, here I come, don't worry. You're so right. And yeah, Rune even mentioned the worm. Oh my God. I love it. So the Autumn King, I think this is another thing that kind of ties them back to Prithian as well. Um, and I'm going to talk quite a bit about him because I think he's sketchy as fuck. Yeah. Um, so on page 152, Rune mentions that he's using an orrery, mm -hmm. which is a model of their seven planets, moons, and suns. So you hear about an orrery in a previous book mm -hmm. in A Court of Silver Flames. And so I am going to read the passage really quick. 
um, because it sounds familiar. So it says there was a main floor of the study bedecked in hand-knotted blue carpets that Farah had gone to Cecir to select from the artisans with its two sitting areas, Reese's desk, and twin long tables near the bookshelves. At the far end of the room, a little dais led to a broad raised alcove flanked by more books and at its center, a massive working model of their world, the stars and planets around it. And some of the other fancy things that had been explained to Cassian once before he deemed them boring and proceeded to ignore them completely. As, of course, had been fascinated. Reese had built the model himself centuries ago. It could not only track the sun, but also tell time and somehow allowed Reese to ponder the existence of life beyond their world and other things. They didn't say how many planets there were, but I think somehow the Autumn King got Reese's orrery. Like, uh-huh. it somehow ended up coming over. Um, I don't know. See, the one thing I'm not sure about is, like, the time frame of these. Yeah. Because if they passed over the rift in the first war, and that was with Thea, or not Thea, with, um, like, that original group, that was long before yeah. Reese was there. But Reese made it himself. And so I don't know if the Autumn King, like, inherited it because, well, I can't talk about it yet. But in the second book, there's another person that also has an orrery. But basically, when Rune asked his father what he was looking for, patterns was all he replied. Mm-hmm. And so I think he knows that the horn can open up gates to other universes. And I think he knows that other universes exist because they have the ancient fae tomes that no one else is allowed to look at and i think maybe he's found old writing suggesting that they're it's like interesting into- too because i feel like we could kind of go off of that so he's looking for patterns so midgard is a pattern because mm-hmm. in the world of prithian the rifts have already been opened and other beings have already come over uh, like and then it happens again and they go to midgard so like that in itself is a pattern Mm-hmm. You think he could be referring to that as well? I think so. Because so I think the Autumn King has also figured- mentioned. Ooh, ooh, I'm so excited. The horn doesn't just open up to like to other realms, but other planets as well. Yeah. Oh my god. And so I think the Autumn King knows that. I don't know how he knows it, but I think he well, maybe knows he it because. Well, and remember that he killed the first star, like the last starborn, supposedly. And so I think there's something going on with that. And like, he knows like where they're descended from. And that's also why he writes in the old language of the Fae, because that's all those tomes were written in. So I think the Autumn King knows a lot more than he's letting on. Or he has talked to somebody who has told him about what actually happened. Yeah. I just thought it was very interesting that he's also studying the Ori. That was exactly what Resand had. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't like pay attention to that. And then also just the library itself. The library is very interesting because in Akatar and Throne of Glass, the libraries are also like main components of them like either winning a war or like getting the knowledge they need. So like in Akatar, they have the library that is under um the house mm-hmm. where like all of the um priestesses work and then in throne of glass there is a library that has basically all of the knowledge like of the world and yeah. that's where like only a select few scholars can go there to study 
Um, and then you have this library of Parthos. And obviously we know that it can be picked up and moved to like a different location. So I'm wondering if the library is all the same because um, whenever Bryce was looking for like books on the shelf, she talked about the Book of Breathings. Mm-hmm. And she also talked about The Walking Dead, which was from Throne of Glass. Ooh, and so okay. I think it's all the same. And the only thing I don't get is that the Book of Breathings was put in the cauldron, right? Yeah. And then cast out to sea. So I'm not sure how they came across the Book of Breathings or if that was just an Easter egg. Well. Same thing with The Walking Dead. And so, like, (laughs) that's two things now that we're unsure how what they would have gotten there is, like, the books and the orrery. But that's not to say that it couldn't have happened. Right. I just don't – I don't know how they would have come over yet. Well, and I also – think they talked about um how in parthos there were priestesses that guarded the library and there's priestesses that guard the library in akatar as well yes and so, okay that leads me to my next thing whenever okay you- well i think jessica is somehow either descended from a priestess or she is one of the priestesses and that's why she's been tasked to like guard the library uh-huh. and adis which i'll talk about adis too um, he's also connected to the library, and I think that's how Adis and Jessica know each other. Okay. I could see that, yeah. Because, like you're saying, you th- I mean, Jessica is probably older and... I think she's really old. <laughs> yeah. What I was going to say is um, the Arkesian amulet mm-hmm. that Jessica gave to Bryce. Um, they keep making a big deal about it, how expensive right. it is. There's only a few in the world. Um, that's what the priestesses wore to protect them when they they guarded the books. Mm-hmm. And okay, so this is actually something that I read on Reddit. So this is posted by I Lauren thirty seven. So I Lauren thirty seven says, "What if the Arkesian amulet is referring to the Archeron sisters? It's made of three gold hoops, and there's three sisters." Oh. And it's like the first letters are A R C H E, you know, like Archeron. Yeah. So, oh. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. Interesting. Cause when I read about the Arkesian amulet and it was like three interconnecting circles, it made me think of the three faced goddess, which they talked about. Um, in this book a little bit, like the witches worship the three-faced goddess, but um, in Throne of Glass, there's also witches that are very similar to these witches, and they also worship a three-faced goddess. And Amran even talks about a three-faced goddess in that book, but they refer to her as the mother. Hmm. And the mother was the one who created the cauldron, or brought the cauldron over. Yes. So the amulet could be representing the mother rather than them. Which I don't know for a fact. It was just a theory. But I like yeah. that one better about the Archeron sisters. Yeah, because I don't know either. Because this person also responded um, to the, like, thread. And they said the Arkesian amulets were worn by the priestesses that guarded Parthos 15,000 years ago. And... Um, they didn't seem convinced. And that's why Jessica has them, because she was one of the priestesses. Yeah. Oh, for sure. 
Um, but this person didn't seem convinced that it had to do with the Archeron sisters, but anyway. I, yeah, I think Decima is super, super old and <laughs> at least 15,000 years. Yeah. I mean, what if like, what if that's why she has those books? Because she took them over. Yeah. The, I don't, well, Parthos was there before though. Parthos was in Midgard. What is right. now Midgard? So, so what if I just she think came... she's always lived there? Maybe. Oh. Um, so Adis's character, I think, has maybe been in the other two books. So when Adis first appears to Bryce, he takes the form of a cat, right? And he has very like feline features. If you'll remember in Silver Flames, whenever Nesta talks to the house or goes down like the stairs in the library, she feels a feline presence. And then the house itself. Mm-hmm. It's like a feline presence as well. Right. And then um, in Throne of Glass, the main character also is accompanied by like a random feline presence that guides her. And so I think Adis is somehow connected to like all three. I just don't know how, but I just thought it was weird that he decided to show up in the form of a cat. And then it's also talked about like a feline presence in the other two books as well. And it's usually when they need guidance, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know why it's important yet, but it's definitely important. I also just really, I don't know. I I think it's just wishful thinking, but I really want him and Bryce to be together. I don't think they will. But now that I I shipped them, the first I did ship them. But now that I've like read it again, I do think he. It sounds like he was maybe in love with Thea, Mm. or at least was like in awe of her. Yeah. And Bryce has Thea's light, and so that's why I was like, well, maybe that's. I wonder if Bryce also resembles Thea, like right. And so I was like, I wonder if they're gonna end up together. I don't know though. I really yeah. don't. I hope they do because I really liked Adis. I, I he's I a like very neat character. Um, but I do think he is present in all three of the books. So the goddess Luna, who has the horn, mm-hmm. there were aspects of her that made me think of Feyre. So the statue in like where she's at in Crescent City is made from moonstone which mm-hmm. is the same thing that um, the house in Akatar is made out of. Yeah. And um, that Farrah sees, like, in her vision when she's, like, in the cell. And then, like, the twin wolves at her feet. So Farrah is often depicted herself, like, as a wolf or has used, like, a wolf, um, like, in different forms, like the wolves, like, when she made water and stuff. Then and the golden bow and arrows. She murdered the wolf. She murdered the at wolf. At the beginning. Um, The moon crown is like the phases of the moon like what Feyre has on her back Mm -hmm. and then the horn also has a crack in it just like the cauldron did uh, whenever Feyre used it but that could also mean that Peleus is descended from them too because he was technically the one who used the horn to close the rift Hmm. so I don't know but I think it's weird that the horn and the cauldron both had cracks in it once they were used and like you have to use like your power to like repair them basically Mm -hmm. i just thought there was a lot of like resemblance there i don't think it's her obviously because luna never took a lover and was like a maiden 
Yeah. But like maybe descended or like somehow related or like just a depiction. Yeah. And like, well, maybe Pharaoh was just like, quote unquote, made in Luna's image. Yeah. yeah. True. True. Um, so we already talked about the Viper Queen. Oh, so the thing I was going to say about the Viper Queen, so I won't say names or anything, but in Throne of Glass, there is a very old ancient power who basically ties people. She has like a cabal, basically, of like fey warriors Mm -hmm. that she ties to her through like a mixing of blood. Um, And she has like something in her. A venom, if you will. Yeah, basically. And so like, it made me think of the Viper Queen because that's basically what she does to yeah. her warriors. And yeah. I don't know if it was just like a like a resemblance or what, but I was like, huh, interesting. I and mean, it could just be the same type of because I don't think people necessarily like the heads of the like different areas. Like even Micah stays away from her. Yeah, I don't think they know necessarily how long they've been there, like where they're from, mm-hmm. um, because they mentioned with like the River Queen that. She herself is, like, the daughter of Ogenis. A goddess. Yeah, like, she is, like, she's been there a long freaking time. Right. So, the Viper River Queen, Queen well is, I think the River Queen is going to play a role as well. I love personally. the River Queen. And then with Theory, so we know that she was pretending to be a student and that she was actually an assassin for the Republic. Nobody knows what house she's um, from, and it's rude to ask. And no one knows anything about her lineage. But on page 227, Fury said that she knew Jessica from her Jessica's time, like spent in the Republic. And that's how she got Bryce a job. Yes. And so I wonder how Fury and Jessica know each other. And if Jessica hiring Bryce had something to do with her relation to Thea, which goes back to Adis. And so I wonder if Fury is somehow in the mix there. Like they all kind of know more about Bryce's destiny than yes, than Bryce herself does. Well, and all they said was that Fury drop like made the drop at twenty one. They didn't say how long ago she had made the drop. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So and it's like okay, she made the drop at twenty one. You met her. When she was in college, and but she was just pretending to be college. She's actually an assassin, so right. that bitch has got to be old, right? Like, you don't just become an assassin immediately. Well, and after then they drop. also had her at the summit, and they didn't say what it was for, but she was placed like pretty close to like the inner circle to like listen in and like basically observe the summit itself. So mm-hmm. I want to know like who does she work for, and like. Yeah. Basically, like, where her loyalties like Because I do think she's loyal to Bryce, but she obviously has inner workings with Jessica. Yeah. And she apparently trusted Jessica enough to basically force her to hire Bryce. Either that or, like, that was, like, a plan all along. It is interesting because it's, like, we also don't super know what Jessica's motives are. But I think, like, it seems like Jessica and Adis, like, so Adis is talking about like Bryce come find me when you make the drop so we can finish this. It's like mm-hmm. they it seems like they also want to overthrow the Asteri. Right. So I think that Fury works for the Republic because it's like keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if she's trusted, she could probably access like a lot of stuff. Interesting. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier too, I think Fury knows a lot more about Danica because I think her and Danica um, like want similar things. Um, And then the last one is just talking about Hunt. So I think, like I said, his father is going to be someone important because when he goes to think like who like do we know any other characters that could be like lightning related well that's what he said is that nobody he tried to find someone to teach him how to control his lightning but that he was he's the only person who has it and so he ended up teaching himself what i think is weird though is like the oracle said you remind me of that which was lost long ago i had not realized it might ever reappear again so it's like that's not referring to his dad then? I don't know. We don't know who his dad is. I know, but it's and like his mom how never long told him. Did his dad die. And then when Adis saw him, he said, "A fallen warrior with the power of." And then he said, "What are you doing with a black crown?" Mm-hmm. So Adis knows what his power is and is yeah. like, "I know who your daddy is." Right. Um. And then right at the end in the epilogue, when Jessica asked him, what about Athlar? He said, I think Athlar's father would have been proud. Feel free to disagree. You knew the male the best. Mm-hmm. And so Jessica knows who his dad is. Yeah. And it's Hunt's like, the only one who does it. How long ago did his dad die? But he also like, just never asked. And so I think Hunt maybe does know who his father is. I feel like Hunt is like, I don't know. I feel like he's keeping something. Hmm. or that or he doesn't remember yeah i mean because like his mom if, like, he made the drop like right after his mom died so he was like what like in his 20s when he made the drop because then he fought for yeah. Shah- he was really young like 28 or something. He was 28 yeah so maybe he really just never knew who his dad was <laughs> maybe, maybe his dad died before he was old enough to know i don't know <clears throat> and that would make sense that like the oracle was like wow i thought it was lost long ago because at that point it'd be like 200 and some years ago that he would yeah so obviously his dad is going to be a big part of this and yeah. i think that's going to make a difference in how hunt is as a person and this isn't really like anything it's just something i noticed is that they use the number seven for like everything. Yeah. So seven Asteria, seven High Lords. There's seven Princes of Hell in Throne of Glass. There's a different set of seven princes. Um, and um, then seven planets. The seven planets. Seven so feet, seven neighborhoods. Well, there's seven heads of Lunathian. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. All the sevens, considering there are only five gods. Right. So I don't think the gods matter. Yeah. Or they don't exist at all. Or there's two gods <laughs> that they forgot about. Like as, as time went on. Also, did you notice? Okay. So in this is just another thing I think connects Akatar and this book together. Um, in Mist and Fury, when Feyre decides to finally go out with like the inner circle and stuff, um, Cassian and Amran are talking about their favorite sport team. And I think it's Sunball. Oh my God. That's so cute. Yeah. I was going to say like, this is just like, maybe just like similar. 
um, in like her, like what she decided to write. But I thought the scene where Bryce apologized to Hunt by making him a meal, I was like, is that part of her like Faye instincts? Because like to oh, Faye like, remain Reese, yeah, to solidify the mating bond, like they like make them a meal, which maybe. Yeah, I know that it's not exactly the same because, like, they're not both fae and there's not, like, an actual mating bond. But I was like, maybe it's just part of her, like, Like, her it's fae. an inclination to, like, yeah, maybe. Um, But the last thing is, I don't know if Adis and Bryce are mates, but I think that even though she gave up her spot in the bone quarter, it won't matter because if she ends up with the Prince of Hell, then she'll her soul just go there yeah (laughs) maybe yeah which i could see her just like even if they're not mates i could see adis just being like you're coming home with me yeah i don't know but (laughs) like let's go raise hell bestie that's a lot but i think there are definitely a lot of things that cross over there's a lot of evidence that it does i just don't know when yeah and we don't know how many books there are going to be we're in for a wild ride. Mm-hmm. So yeah, join us next week. We are going to be fan casting Crescent City. It's going to be great. That'll be exciting. And um, then uh, the week after that, we are just going to dive right into the second Crescent City book, House of Sky and Breath. So I would go ahead and start on that. Yeah, it is another. These are beefy boy. books. So yeah, go ahead, get started on that. We will talk to you then. And as always, let's get lit. Let's get lit.